0: Thank you for joining us for this chapel message from the campus of Columbia International University in Columbia, South Carolina. Our mission at CIU is to educate people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. Good morning. I am, I am grateful for the opportunity to, uh, to share with you today. Uh, but I gotta say, when I first found out that I was scheduled to speak on this day, I thought, oh my, this is Halloween. What do I do with that? Well, a little corny humor, maybe. Why are graveyards so noisy? Why? Because of all the coffin. Uh-huh. Why was Cinderella bad at soccer? Because she had a pumpkin for a coach. <laughs> That's all I got. <clears throat> more, more importantly, of course, uh, today is Reformation Day, the day uh, we celebrate the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. And one of the, the great teachings uh, or the emphases of the Reformation is sola scriptura, by, by scripture alone. A renewed focus on the Word of God came out of the Reformation. The Bible alone is a trustworthy and source for what we believe and how we're supposed to live. And that fits nicely with CIU's and my own personal core value of the authority of Scripture, which in turn is part of what we reflect on this week as we celebrate 100 years of God's faithfulness to and through CIU. So, this morning, I want us to turn to this precious book. I'd like us to take a brief look at just one special passage in this amazing Bible, and my favorite portion of God's Word, the Gospels. Uh, Two helpful questions that we can seek to answer as we read the Gospels, and I encourage you to read the Gospels. Uh, Two helpful questions as we read are what do we learn about Jesus? What's the author telling us about Jesus in the passage or in the book? And then what do we learn about what it means to follow Jesus? One of the things I like about the Gospels is that they are written as stories. Mm, Everyone likes a good story. The Gospels are great stories. And the passage I want us to think about this morning is the story of the Apostle John that he tells us in chapter 1 of John, the last half of of John chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles or a device where you have the scriptures on there, I really encourage you to turn to this passage. I think we're going to see some, uh, some pretty cool things. Watch how John tells the story. Now, I need to say as we start that uh, these things really happened. John doesn't make up this story. Uh, These are historically accurate details of these events. But John gives us the information in a story which is helpful, I think. Stories have characters and plot and and so forth. And John uses the story to emphasize, to teach his readers things about Jesus and what it means to follow Jesus. So watch for that in this passage. Now, this passage in John chapter 1 is about Jesus' first encounter with some of his first disciples. Now, in the other Gospels, uh, we read that when Jesus first comes to Peter and John and some of the others when they are fishing, uh, he says to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. In this passage, it's like John is saying to us, yeah, we did that later on, but let me give you the backstory of how at least some of these guys first met Jesus. And what we learn about Jesus in the passage is two things primarily. Number one, Jesus knows these guys. Watch this. Jesus knows them. Secondly, Jesus calls them. He wants them. He wants them to follow him. Watch for that. So in this context, in John chapter 1, this passage... John the Baptist has been telling people, especially his own disciples, that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So let's pick up the story then. If you're reading along, please follow along. John chapter 1, verse 35. The next day, again, John, this is John the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? Now, John the Baptist points two of his disciples to Jesus and they decide to leave John the Baptist and they want Jesus to now be their teacher, to be their rabbi. So they follow Jesus. Now, did you notice? Before they can say anything to Jesus, Jesus asks them a question What are you seeking? These are the very first words of Jesus in the Gospel of John. So note this. Some amazing things have been said about Jesus earlier in John chapter 1. Perhaps you're aware of that. But this is the first time he speaks. These are the first words that he speaks in the Gospel of John. And here we see something of what it means to follow Jesus. What are you seeking? Great question. Jesus knows these guys. He knows what John the Baptist has said about him and why these guys are following him. So he asks them this penetrating question so that they think deeply about it. What are you seeking? That's probably a good question for us this morning as well. What what are you after in this relationship? Just what you can get out of it? For these guys, it might have been political or military deliverance from Rome, just to be blessed in some way? Or are you seeking a new life, a new master? What are you seeking? Go back to verse 38. And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come, and you will see. Now asking where Jesus is staying is really just a way of saying that they want Jesus to be their rabbi. Jesus' response to their question, another insight into what it means to follow Jesus. Come and you will see. Oh, what an invitation. This offer is about a whole lot more than just come and find out where I happen to be staying at the time. There's much more going on here. Jesus wants them to see him, to hear him, to get to know him. And I think we'll see evidence of that a little bit later in the passage. I think Jesus makes the same offer to us this morning. Come and you will see. See who I really am and what I am about and what I want to do in your life. Come and you will see. Continuing on, verse 39, so so they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now here we find out the name of one of those first two disciples that left John the Baptist to follow Jesus, and his name is Andrew. Andrew right away does something really cool. He went and found his brother and said to him, we have found the Messiah. Now that probably tells us something about what that time with with staying with Jesus back in verse 39 did for him. Hanging out with Jesus as he came and saw led to him seeing something very special about Jesus. Something that he wanted to pass on to his brother. A beautiful picture of how it's supposed to work. This seeing Jesus and then sharing him with others. Sound familiar? To know him. To make him known. By the way, get this, in John's gospel, Andrew is known only for bringing people to Jesus. Isn't that cool? But now, watch how Jesus knows Simon. The passage says Jesus looked at him, and then he changes his name to Cephas or or Peter. The word looked here is a bit unusual. It's a stronger word with the idea of to gaze intently. Jesus looked deeply into Simon. What did he see? Hmm, maybe past sin, failure, his future blundering, pride, the three times he would deny that he even knew Jesus. But Jesus also saw Simon's heart, his potential. Jesus knew that after spending time with him, Simon would become Peter, the rock. Jesus knows these guys. Well, back to the story. Verse 43, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. And he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, we don't get a lot about Philip here in the passage other than that he was from the same town as Andrew and Peter. I'll come back to Philip in a bit. But we see here in what Jesus says another important reminder of what it means to follow Jesus. Simply, follow me. Follow me. John unpacks a little bit more of what that means throughout his gospel. Follow me, walk with me and an intimate, growing relationship with me and a life of fruitful service for me by serving others. Follow me. We also get a little glimpse of that in what Philip does, because right away he went and found someone else to tell about Jesus. Once again, we see that Jesus knows this guy, Nathanael. And I think what he knows is that Nathanael is serious about his relationship with God and that he's a man of the word, First, notice Philip points to Nathanael's knowledge of the word by introducing Jesus as the one the law and the prophets point forward to. Nathanael knows the law and the prophets, and he knows that they point forward to Messiah, but Nathanael can't accept that Jesus could be that one because Philip said he was from Nazareth. Now, it's true that Nazareth was podunk. It was Nowheresville, I suppose, at the time, population of only about 500 people. But I think there's more to Nathaniel's objection, his skepticism. Maybe he knows, according to Micah 5, that Messiah is to come from Bethlehem. He knows the word. So Nathaniel is skeptical. Now, how does Philip respond to Nathaniel's objection? (laughs) He doesn't argue or defend what he has said. Maybe he knows he can't. I'll come back to that in a minute. Uh, So what does he say? Philip said to him, come and see. Oh, remember Jesus' earlier invitation to come and see? Now, we may not have all the answers to people's questions and to their objections, but we can, like Philip, invite them to come and see. Check him out for yourself. Now, watch for a a turn, a twist in the plot here in the story that John tells. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Now, how do you explain Nathaniel's amazing about turn from being skeptical that this could possibly be the Messiah to one of the greatest confessions in the gospels? You are the son of God the king of Israel. Well, it's cool that Jesus saw him under the fig tree, but I think there must be something more that leads to this kind of a confession from Nathaniel. I think Jesus knows that Nathaniel has recently been reflecting on the word of God. Maybe even while he was under that fig tree. Now, this is a bit of speculation, granted, but I believe it makes good sense of the passage. I think the part of Scripture Nathaniel's been considering is most likely Genesis chapters 27 and 28. In Genesis 27, we see Jacob tricking his brother Esau out of the blessing. Jacob is a man of guile, a man of deceit. So when Jesus greets him, Nathaniel's already been thinking about this. I don't want to be like Jacob. I don't want to be a man of guile, a man of deceit. I want to be a man of no deceit. So when Jesus greets him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit, he immediately has Nathanael's attention. Jesus does know him. Maybe no one else knows that that's what Nathanael was thinking about, but clearly Jesus does. And then, verse 51 in the passage certainly is a reference to Genesis 28, verse 12. Jesus answered, verse 50 in our passage, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is Jacob's ladder. Angels ascending and descending. For Jacob, this was a place of God revealing himself a place where he could meet with God. And here Jesus saying something like, he himself is the greatest revelation of God. It's in Jesus we can meet with God. But again, my point is Jesus knows each of these guys. And he calls them, he wants them to know him and to follow him. In fact, this promise here, you will see greater things than these, is another helpful insight into what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus wants these guys to continue to grow in their understanding of who he is. And notice the connection with come and you will see at the beginning of the passage. There is so much for us to see about Jesus and what he is about. You will see greater things. For instance, in this word, as you walk with him. But there's more, something more we need to see in this passage in the way John tells the story. Did you catch it? Maybe you saw it as we went through. Think about these five disciples, okay? Five first guys that start following Jesus and what John tells us about them. I think we know two of them pretty well. The other three, not nearly as well. Again, watch how John tells the story. Now remember, one of the first two disciples that left John the Baptist to follow Jesus was Andrew. The other, I think it was the Apostle John himself. Now, he never names himself in the gospel. He's the disciple whom Jesus loved, but he never, we never get his name in the gospel. I think this is John. In fact, if you look back at verse 39, you notice that John remembers the exact time of the day when he went to stay with Jesus. Mm. Now, think of how God used John in the, early, in the early church, how important he was. He was a leader in the book of Acts. It seems later on he was like a bishop over the churches in and around Ephesus, and he wrote this gospel and other books in our New Testament. And then there's Peter. You know Peter. You know he was a leader among the apostles in Jesus' day. He was the leader in the early church in the first part of the book of Acts, and he too wrote books in the New Testament. These guys are important, maybe even exceptional in terms of their roles as apostles. But do you see what the author, John, has done in the way he tells the story? He do- John doesn't even identify himself, and all we see of him is that he followed Jesus and stayed with him. What about Peter? Get this, as significant as he is in the larger story of the New Testament and church history, he gets less than one verse in this passage. And he doesn't do anything in the passage. And more remarkably, he doesn't say anything in the passage. How many times can that be said of Peter? So if John doesn't make much of anything of himself and Peter, as important as they are, where is his focus? On the other three. He tells us more about each of them. In some cases, much more. But these guys are more ordinary. Ordinary. Lacking special distinction, rank, status, average. Ordinary. Maybe, maybe we have here a variation of the message that we heard last week during World Christian Week regarding the unlikely These guys are ordinary, so watch what John does with this. Now, we all know about Peter. John wants us to see how Peter came to know Jesus. Who brought him to Jesus? Andrew, his brother. Now, did you notice Andrew is first introduced in verse 40 as Simon Peter's brother before Peter is ever introduced in the story itself? Everyone knows about Peter. He's the exceptional one, Andrew. It's much more ordinary. We know a whole lot less about Andrew. But John wants us to know that this ordinary Andrew is the one who brought Peter to Jesus. Maybe you know something about Billy Graham. He was an exceptional evangelist, used mightily by the Lord. But how many of us can name the ordinary man who encouraged Billy Graham to attend the crusade at which he came to know Jesus? Andrew's like that man. He brought to jesus you may be an andrew what about philip like andrew we see philip after beginning to follow jesus goes to find someone else nathaniel to tell about jesus but that may be the only positive thing we see about philip in this gospel even here we see that philip doesn't know how to answer nathaniel's objection about nazareth you remember Philip shows up by name three more times in John's gospel. In chapter 6, we have the feeding of the 5,000. Now, that's the only miracle of Jesus that's recorded in all four gospels. And John is the only writer that tells us how Philip fits into that story. John chapter 6, verse 5. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? John goes on to say, Jesus said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. Jesus tests Philip, gives him an opportunity to demonstrate his faith in what Jesus could do, and Philip miserably fails the test. In chapter 12, we read of Gentiles wanting to come to see Jesus, and they approach Philip about this, and it seems Philip doesn't quite know what to do, so he goes to find Andrew and tell him, and then the two of them tell Jesus. The final time Philip is mentioned by name is in chapter 14 of John. Jesus is teaching his disciples in the upper room the night before the crucifixion. Jesus has been pouring into these guys for maybe three years at this point, And he says this to, to all of them. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. Oh, Philip. One writer says Philip is often somewhat out of his depth. We might say, not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Or the lights are on, but no one's home. The poor guy fumbles, blunders his way through the Gospel of John. Note this, he is very ordinary. But Jesus knows him and calls them, and wants to use them. Now, did you notice back in our passage how John highlights that? Verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Philip is the only disciple in this passage that Jesus goes after and finds and calls. Jesus knows Philip, and he knows Philip needed for Jesus himself to find him. And amazingly, he tells Philip, very ordinary Philip, to follow him. He actually wants Philip in all his ordinariness. He knows he can change and, and grow Philip and use him for his glory. My wife, Laney and I had the amazing privilege a few years ago of going on the Israel study tour. I highly rec- recommend you consider going uh, when you have the opportunity, though sadly probably not in the near future. So many things on that tour were meaningful to me and and to Laney, but the most powerful, the most precious moment for me came when we were staying at the Sea of Galilee. And one morning, I got up early to go for a walk, and I walked all by myself. I found myself all alone walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And I thought about Jesus walking on the shore with his disciples. And I believe it was the Lord who reminded me of this passage and in particular of Philip and I wept and wept I knew what he was reminding me of in so many ways I am Philip yet at 16 years old when I was not looking for Jesus I didn't want anything to do with Jesus Jesus knew me he found me he called me he wanted me to, to follow him, to serve him. What mercy, what grace. You may be a Philip. Jesus knows and calls the ordinary. Let's modify what we see about Jesus in our outline. Jesus knows the ordinary, Jesus calls the ordinary. John seems to highlight that in this passage. He wants the ordinary. He uses the ordinary. Now, we have different backgrounds and strengths and gifts and abilities. But at the end of the day, at least most of us are pretty ordinary. And Jesus is okay with that. In fact, he delights in knowing and calling and using the ordinary. Paul says it this way. We have this treasure in relatively worthless jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. No matter how ordinary, how unqualified you may feel, no matter what you've done, your past, your family, your sin, your failure, your sense of being unexceptional when you compare yourself with others, your ordinariness, Jesus knows you. He calls you. He wants you. He wants you to know him, and he wants to use you. Reflect one last time on what Jesus says in the passage. I know there's more in the passage about what it means to follow Jesus, but just think about what he says. What are you seeking? Come and you will see. Follow me. You will see greater things. And all of this is for the ordinary. Will you bring your ordinariness Jesus and watch what he can do with it. Amen.